are Locked On Wildcats. Your daily podcast on the Arizona Wildcats. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Happy Wednesday, Tucson, and thanks for keeping it locked on, Wildcats. I'm your host, Mike Luke. With the third day in a row, the hat trick has been pulled off by one John Schuster. Hello, John. How are you? Hi, Mike Luke. It's uh, very unusual for me to be in the uh, guest chair, but uh, thanks for tolerating me yet again. I don't know if I'm here by unpopular of a demand, but I'll take the demand anyway. I can. This get is it. also when you know the two people are getting old, when we both had to push this back because we both wanted to take a nap for <laughs> yes. drastically different reasons. But Wait, there were different reasons to yeah, take yeah, afternoon I naps? Mean, yeah, let's well, be mine was whole. Yeah. You had some important reason. Mine was yeah. uh, legitimate. Well, let's I'm be old. honest. Mine was a priority nap. Yours yeah. wasn't. That's uh, sad. So, I can't argue that. We're gonna. Uh, we got a couple different things to get to today. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about uh, U of A just got a commitment from a kid, uh, Adam Abal, from uh, overseas, from France. He is viewed as a guy who's probably not going to be an immediate contributor, probably going to be a little bit of a stash and work on. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the transfer portal because I'm assuming that John Schuster and I have drastically different opinions on the transfer portal. But before we get to that, uh, here's basically what you need to know about Bao is that he's a kid that um, he's six foot six, long and lanky. Um, he's has some international experience probably not going to be able to play this year, probably won't be expected to be a contributor next year. I'm fine with taking kids like this once every couple of years, as long as they understand their role. Will he be on campus? He'll be here. He's eligible yeah, to play if they're campus, in trouble, yeah. if he develops faster and people say he's here. Because as you were reading that, the way that sounded to me, and I, I think we talked about this on one of the podcasts last week, is One of the things that the NBA overall has done, I think, obviously very well, their global initiative has worked. Mm -hmm. And as a result, players across the world have gotten better in a lot of different places. France has, you know, developed many quality basketball players. There are a bunch of other countries that have done the same. We're all aware of who they are. But remember in the days of the NBA draft, this probably still occurs, where you'd have a foreign player that would never make that you'd have control of sort of kind of Tony Kukoc was every every prospect like that everyone yeah and 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 three years later maybe you'd hear about him on the roster and then maybe you wouldn't it almost sounds like and I feel like what obviously what happens is a very the NBA sets the tone and then eventually it trickles down into other uh, levels and college is an example of sometimes following the NBA model, following the lead. It works its way down. It almost sounded like when you were reading that off that it was kind of like the NBA draft version of stashing a kid overseas who happened to be there and then seeing if he's developed, keeping him under contract to some degree, which I guess is, you know, the the eligibility terminology of college basketball is uh, what under contract would be from an NBA standpoint. And, And then maybe maybe he develops to some degree and it's good but you're right back to your point if uh you have a guy with clear athleticism who you want to try to teach the game of basketball to i don't have any problem with that at all the upside of that i think is uh and the reason that i love having you on is because you can really because again you were one of the probably five or six people at the apex of the loot reign for quite a while 20 
right. 75, right. 150,000 right. people who were right on that inside. Right, so but you know what? Out of that 150,000, <laughs> right, right, right. you were in the Mount Rushmore of those 150,000. <laughs> that, 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 that's hard to, uh, it's really hard to debate. But uh, I, it, I got to thinking though, and generally with kids like this. I was the Jefferson. You, yeah, generally with kids like this, you either, they're either a hit or they're a miss. There's not a lot of in-between, and here's what I mean. We all remember Chris Dunn from Hobbs, New Mexico. Don't we all? Yes, who, depending on who you listen to, they said that the six foot seven kid was Sean Marion or that this kid can't play at the Juco level. And But you look at it, though. Perfect example, yes, by the way. Right, yeah. it really is. But then you look at it, there's a lot of kids that came in and were viewed as projects. Ricky Anderson came in and just wasn't ready to play. You had to redshirt him midway through his career. Turns out to be a pretty nice player at the end. You told an interesting story to me, and again, Anybody that's listened to this podcast for five minutes knows how highly we hold Lute Olson in regard here for his evaluation skills. Nobody takes a back seat. But this, I thought the story that you told about Kirk Walters to me before we started was very indicative, though, of the hidden miss nature of taking a project like this. And again, Lute hit on a lot of kids, your Ricky Andersons, your Channing Fries. Tell the story, though, to the people out there about Kirk Walters. And then we'll backtrack to another one that I think is interesting in okay. sort, of, sort of the same way. Different category uh, that mm -hmm. didn't quite work out. You've mentioned him on a number of occasions, understandably. But Lute talked to a colleague of mine, one-on-one, -on -one, and told that colleague, you know, who questioned, because Kirk Walters got a lot of questions by a lot of people. You picked up who from where for why? And Olson told this person, confidently he's going to be every bit as good as Channing Fry. No question, absolute confidence in his ability to turn a project into possibly a pro. And obviously that just didn't work out. He missed. Even the greats miss. Uh, I think Brad Alice, who you've had on the podcast, Brad has his own podcast and does some other things as well. I hope you listen to that one WSR report. That one. Thank you. Track you that go. one down. That's, that's we like William. That's a good promo drop right there. Mm -hmm. uh, Brad and I were at an event at, I believe it, I know it was Southern California. I think it was during a USC and UCLA basketball weekend. Alumni were there. And Olsen is speaking. And it's the year uh, that Mustafa Shakur is about to come into the program. Okay. And Luke tells 500 people in that room, however many alumni are in that room, Mustafa Shakur is going to be better than Mike Bibby. And we're in the back. Because, you know, Brad and I watched our but fair share of basketball. Right. And these guys around here have also watched their fair share of basketball. The alums are kind of excited. It's like, and it was almost like there was a hush that came up. Uh-oh. We got something really good. We got this this Shakur guy's coming in. We got something really good. And I think we all... Shakur frustrated everybody pretty much from the get-go. He was in a position where the pressure of what he was expected to be, possibly as a result of that conversation <laughs> yeah. that got out, um, you know, made it difficult for him to live up to those expectations. And, and it was disappointing for Wildcat fans, and I'm sure probably disappointing for Shakur as well. Things sometimes don't work out. Now, they're, they're, they're two very different examples, but they're indications, I think, overall, of the hit-and-miss nature of what college recruiting is in general. You can sometimes strike gold with a project. You can sometimes strike out with a great player. You know, it's not an exact science, and, and sometimes you miss. But in this recruit here, um, interestingly, and you're better suited for this perhaps than I, based on 
information related to him. Hmm? Uh, French kid who has raw basketball skills. That sounds more like a Dana Altman recruit to me. It really does, and it's funny you mention that because we're going to talk about Dana Altman in the next segment when you're going to be basically taken out to the woodshed Mm. for your view on transfers. Man, I can't can't wait for a little woodshed action. You know what? I've always felt, though, Shu, that just from an outside perspective, if you're going to miss on a kid, miss on a kid with athleticism. Miss on a kid that's Completely got length agree. and athleticism. Don't miss on the kid that comes in and you're like, oh, I don't know that he's physically ever going to be able to play here. Miss on the kid because, you know what, maybe he just didn't quite have the basketball acumen or he didn't quite have that ability. All right, let me that's ask you I this. That's I think you're going right let me, let, Okay, and l- let me ask you this. One of your concerns, I don't know if you've mentioned it on Locked On on a fairly regular basis, but and I know the concern of a lot of the fan base as well, is that... Lloyd as a Gonzaga disciple, mm-hmm. you know, former. The, the question about Gonzaga is, it, did Gonzaga get the athletic kids necessary to be ultimately competitive on the grand stage? Right. You know, okay. Uh, and, and, and we can argue the growth of the program and so on and so forth and how great they've been the last five years, and, you know, which negates a lot of that. But nevertheless, it really it's does a, negate a, a lot. But 10 years, 15 years ago, that's a legitimate mm-hmm. concern. For sure. So do you. Do you view a player like this as suggesting that maybe the ability to find an athlete won't be a problem for Lloyd at Arizona or that that still is an issue that we have to keep an eye on? It's kind of a double-edged sword because like you and I talked about um, uh, yesterday, you should be able to recruit, I think, a better level of athlete at Arizona than at Gonzaga now. I don't believe that you're going to be able to get the type of kids the last 10 years consistently that we got when we delved into that for a variety or dove into that for a variety of reasons. But I I don't I think that this actually is a little bit more of a Gonzaga type recruit in that if you look in the past, a lot of the kids that Gonzaga got weren't stars immediately. These were the epitome of guys that spent three, four years, five years there, depending on the case. I mean, you look at it. Look back in the day, Matt Santangelo and Richie Fromm did not come in as impact players. But you know what? At the end of it, they're playing with Blake Stepp and Bowles beating a vintage Arizona team in the Sweet 16. Same with uh, Adam Morrison. Same kind of case. Adam Morrison actually leaves averaging 30 points a game. Nobody thinks that Adam Morrison's going to come in doing that. So I think a lot of the kids were actually, and you are very, you're very fond of using the uh, Mark Few-Ludolson comparison. And I think it's a good comparison in a lot of ways. The way that he was able to develop and find talent like that, I think is something that maybe you're hoping that Lloyd can find in here too. Because I don't look at this kid and you look at some of the offers, it's not like he's turning down Duke, Kansas, Kentucky for those type of kids. I mean, you're dealing with more schools, Illinois, Texas Tech, nothing wrong with those kind of schools. But those are the kind of schools that you're talking about beating out. So I think that this is a little bit more of a few type early on, maybe few to circa 2012, 2013, which as we've talked about, you know, three, four years ago, they broke down the door right there. So it's not exactly a bad template to follow. And a podcast down the road, I I think we can, you know, delve more into, you know, it's the summer. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to be the Gonzaga podcast either. Right. But you know, there is an interesting timeline that we can maybe watch as opposed to, you know, that shows Gonzaga's growth, shows Arizona's growth under loot. And I think if you put those timelines next to each other, you're going to see some definite similarities. Um, and, and, and that is when you build pro good, good programs, 
that's good. We'll, we'll get to find out. One of the things that I think Lloyd can do, well, we're all hoping Lloyd is good at, like your examples at Gonzaga, we'll find out if Lloyd, without few, is as good at developing those players uh, here as Gonzaga was with some of those names you mentioned up there. One thing I can tell you for sure, though, is if you want to bet on this, and if you want to bet on who might be consuming a built bar, that's how good betonline.ag is, because they go there and they've got pretty much everything for you. Now, again, I don't know if you're going to be able to find the built bar on betonline.ag, but that's the kind of that's the kind of trajectory that you're looking at when you go on to betonline.ag, John Schuster. Well, I'm betting that if you want to make a better, more intelligent bet, you'd better have some built bar to get a little bit more in the mine or you're just going to lose money and you don't want to And do how that. many times do we talk about the projects that come in and the first thing they need to do is gain some weight? And I guarantee you, if Channing Fry could have consumed built bars back in the day, Channing Fry 100% would have consumed <laughs> built bars because that's how good they are. Thanks for keeping it locked on, Wildcats. I'm your host, Mike Luke. Joined by John Schuster, a man that I consider probably my best friend, a mentor, one of the coolest people that you will ever come across. You really need to hang out with a better crowd of individuals. No, but I, you know what? You could either call that a condemnation on me, or you could call it a condemnation on yourself. But either way, I'm just stating facts. We'll take it. Right, for sure. Thanks, man. All right. The transfer portal is something that you've already seen Tommy Lloyd, not Tommy Floyd, take advantage of bringing in a kid from Gonzaga. You see all across the country schools basically able to pick and choose, okay, I'd like to have him come here, I'd like to have him come here, and I think you're going to see that a lot for Gonzaga. Now, Lloyd and few have made it known in the past that they're not a huge fan of the... Uh, you said you're going to see that a lot for Gonzaga. Do you mean just you're going to see that a lot in general? I in think you're just going to see a lot in general, yeah. for okay. sure. Yeah, and you you look at it, and Lloyd's talked about how he's not a huge fan of being able to just kind of pick up and move, pick up, and and uh, Mark Few's talked a little bit about that as well. I disagree with it, and I know you're going to disagree with it. My take is this. In college basketball, and I know where you're going to go with this, if the coach can basically tell me for four years that you will, I will be your coach, I'm not going anywhere under any circumstance, and you're telling that to a 17 or an 18-year-old kid, and oh, by the way, six months later, <laughs> it's like, I'm heading out, I'm going where, I'm finding a better deal for myself. I'll just be blunt here, and then we'll get into, the, we'll get into more of the details. Why shouldn't a kid be able to follow that path? And yes, I realize one's a professional and one's an amateur. No, I mean, that aspect of it, I think, is uh, relatively similar. Is that basically your only reason, or do you have other no, reasons I got others, why, you, but, think yeah, but, but why you think it is good? I'm laying the okay. platform for you. What's right. your take? Uh, I think it creates a different level of opportunity. I think it can be a... I, I think it can obviously be frustrating for coaches, and I think it can be frustrating perhaps more importantly, for the people outside listening to this podcast. Mm -hmm. It can be really frustrating for fans now who may be in a position where they don't know players, quote unquote, know players or feel like they're connected to players and therefore maybe not as connected to the team as they used to be as they were 20, 25, perhaps 30 years ago. That's probably a relative norm in a lot of programs. Now you're creating another dynamic where the fan is potentially even less connected to a player that they're already less connected to in a program up and down the run. So it, so, so it creates more of a disconnect, I think, from a fan standpoint, and that's, an un, that's unfortunate collateral damage. Is it okay? 
I mean, it just is. I don't. I. I think it's. I think it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's. It's it, from a coach's standpoint. I think it's a little bit more difficult. I understand where the coaches are coming from, and I. Th- and there are some indications that this is one of the reasons that Roy Williams retired mm-hmm. was the transfer portal. Right. Because after he oh, goes, poor because North he, Carolina well, head basketball coach. I mean, Roy, I mean, I know you know, what whatever the, you know, wherever he is, whatever the point ultimately is, you go through this process where you're spending the entirety of your time trying to you know, glad hand and convince a 15 and a 16 and a 17 year old that you're the school that you want them to go to. And then somebody else is coming in and trying to do the same thing. And then finally you get that kid on campus and then you've got to do the whole thing six months, uh, six, uh, six months from now, while you're also recruiting the next 15 and 16 and 17 year old to try to come to your program. So it doubles your workload to some degree. Yes, I get it. You're making $2 million. You're making $5 million. You're making blah, 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 money, blah, blah, blah. But, but still, if you're trying to create a program with a style of player that you ultimately want to build something, the potential for continuity interruption is there, and I think that 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 makes this job a lot more difficult. Is your point on the surface valid? Sure. Is it a frustration and potentially a problem for the game as a whole? Yes. However, before you continue and and and, and counter and point counterpoint here, um, I forgot my point. Your point, uh, North Carolina, Roy Williams. Uh, no, no, no. My point didn't have anything to do with yeah, that. I was moving. I was moving I'm beyond sure your that. Point what else? Anyways. It probably did. What else? Yeah. All right. It's so, going to be brilliant. But, oh, I remember it. What's that? I remember my point. Thank you, man. I hope this goes into the podcast because <laughs> oh, will. we're probably too lazy to edit it. I hope you all enjoy this. It creates, I guess, an opportunity for good coaches to build an atmosphere that presents itself in a way that maybe gives players an opportunity to want to stay at that school for a number of years. The only coach- so, so, so you have to focus on something a little bit different. Maybe it forces them to create, again, create some sort of atmosphere that makes players want to be here as often as they possibly can. So, you know, it, it, it's certainly going to change the game. And I guess as time goes on, we'll find out whether it changes it for the better. The only coaches that I feel bad for are the ones, let's say you're the coach at UC Bakersfield or something. And you know what? I found this gem from Franklin High School in Seattle. Nobody understands how good this kid is going to be. Then you spend two years developing him. And, oh, yeah, by the way, yeah, I'm going to go to Kansas now. Or I'm going to go to Washington, the schools that should have recruited me in the first place. I understand that the immense frustration from that point of view. The one thing, though, that I've always felt, and I think this is maybe where there's a little bit more of a common ground, I believe if a coach leaves, if a head coach leaves, I believe that those kids should be allowed to leave without without consequence. I don't believe that if... I'll give you an example. Let's say Tommy Lloyd recruits a kid from Phoenix and says, I'm going to be coach for four years. And Tommy Lloyd then decides, I'm going to go to Illinois. I believe that kid should be allowed to leave without problem, honestly. I don't think that he should have to sit out. I think it's a little bit more interesting, and I think this is maybe a little bit more to your point of view, where is a kid who basically just wants to leave just to, you know, eh, I just want to go over here now. I'm not getting enough playing time, here. test the water, something else. I don't like, I broke up with my girlfriend, whatever right. the reason happens to me. Exactly. Yeah. The, when, I, when I really knew that this Okay, was, so what, which, which do you prefer? Do you like it wide open, or do you like some sort of rules put into place that might protect smaller schools? I would like to see something that protects smaller schools. But it would be, but, and again, 
I was thinking about this last night. I don't know exactly how you would be able to go about that because what what constitutes a smaller school? I mean, is Oregon State a smaller school because it's a crummy Power Five school as opposed to you know Pacific where Damon Stoudemire is at or something? It just feel it feels like it's a little too easy where for kids to just hopscotch. But at the same time, I do understand the point of view though that hey. I was essentially lied to by this coach. Now, you could say that a better opportunity arose. Cool. But he didn't tell me that at the time. He told me that I just, I would be. Well, he may not have known it at the time. The reality is that that's life. Well, of course. People take other jobs if you're going to play in the pros. Well, of course. Or, or you're going to do some other job. Your manager might very well leave. There's so nothing you can saying, do about it. So just deal with it. What, what, I don't necessarily disagree with you when it comes to so, if a coach leaves. Right. It's carte blanche. Mm-hmm. But I can also see that there could be some real problems in the portal model if you just have this willy-nilly anarchy thing going on. And your point that I hadn't thought of specifically in regards to how it could hurt more significantly smaller schools becomes a problem that maybe really needs to be addressed because if that's the scenario, then, then you're setting up a college basketball model where the wealthier even gets stronger and your level of competition isn't it? Is, is even less then it is even more disadvantageous than it was before. The wealthier getting stronger, that also sounds like something that might come into rockauto.com. And if you have not followed rockauto.com, you know that this is the case of the words getting out, the wealthy is getting stronger, and you know what? There's reason the wealthy is getting stronger. You need to hop onto rockauto.com. John Schuster has given it an unbridled, an unabridged endorsement and you know what i'm doing the same thing here if you're looking at a north carolina of college basketball if you're looking at what a roy williams would do as a coach if he was in the auto parts field you're looking at rockauto.com thanks for listening to locked on wildcats for john schuster i'm mike luke